It's definitely the, the prayer of, of my heart, that song that we just sang, Show Us Christ. And over this past week, just been reminded with our Behold Your God study that everything we do in life, how we live, is in response to how we view God. Whether we're an atheist or whether we are a devoted follower of Christ, we act upon our preposition or presupposition of who is God and what he is like. And it must come down, if we are to pattern our lives after God, to have an accurate picture of who he is. And that is where we find our direction in life. And I want that to be understood because you'll see that thread throughout this message. We've seen throughout the book of Matthew, there are five discourses. This discourse is is in chapter 10, the second of the five, after the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. Here we are in chapter 10. And this is the shift in Christ's ministry where he is no longer doing work on his own, but he is partnering and using human beings in his work. In verses 1 to 15 and we saw last week the, the apostles being instructed, and this week in 16 through 42, though we see it as part of the greater context, I, I want us to begin to, to examine it carefully. I want you to listen, because I believe that this is actually not part of the original sermon. I want to state that because listen for some differences in context Start in verse 16 and follow along with me. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes." A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both, body, with both soul and body in hell. Are, you, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also den- I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of the little, these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. We just covered a lot of ground textually. But as we look at this, I hope you began to see some differences in the verses 1, specifically verses 5 to 15, and here 16 to 42. Three specific differences we see is this idea of severe persecution. But when we begin to look at it in the lives of the apostles, did they see persecution immediately? No, it wasn't until after Christ's ascension, or you could say, well, they scattered when he was crucified, but persecution did not come until after Christ's ascension. And so we're seeing that these words are not specifically pointing, or Jesus was wrong saying, you're going to go and face immediate persecution. So there's one clue there. Secondly, in verses 5 to 15, where does he tell them to minister? To what people? The Jews. But in verse 19, he says, or verse 18, he's speaking of being witnesses before the who? The Gentiles. There's another little clue for us that, hey, what's going on here? He also begins referencing the coming of the Son of Man. This is not something that has been brought to their attention even yet. There's been even no teaching on this. He's used the phrase, as we saw how the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, but there's still yet more teaching to take place. And so we have a couple options here. One, this is one sermon in Jesus. The first half of it, or the first third of it, is speaking to his apostles of things that apply immediately, and the other two-thirds are things that will apply later. Or what I believe is the better application is, Part 1 is a sermon. Part 16 to 42 is multiple sermons. Again, remember, what is Matthew focused on here in his book? Themes. He's not focused on chronology. You begin to look at even the parallel passages around our table at the 9 o'clock hour. 16 through 42 follow Luke 6, Luke 9, Luke 12, Luke 14, you see that these same things are spoken of, but we're not in this exact context. Does that make them untrue? Absolutely not. And we can't even uh, allow that to be in our thinking because that is completely untrue. What we need to realize is there's a theme that Matthew is proclaiming to us. There's a theme, and the theme he begins to point out is this theme of great persecution. We see a great 
trial that begins in the the life of the church. As D.A. Carson summarized this passage, he says, From this point on, it is a witnessing and suffering church. Jesus is sending out the apostles, but in 16 to 42, this is where we as people today can really grab hold of this message. Verses 5 to 15, we need to be careful because Jesus is specifically speaking to apostles, those who have been given that special office. But 16 through 42 are directly applicable to us. But as Jesus is speaking to his disciples in general, not just the 12, he's warning them of something. Often we can roll our eyes when somebody who's warning us of something. Yeah, 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 I've heard that before. But Jesus is warning them, and it's a great blessing. Even the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3 says this in verses 3 and 4, that no one be moved by these afflictions. So he's speaking of the great challenges. For you yourselves know that we were, what? Destined for this. Sorry, it's blurry back there. I was making sure it wasn't up here. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand we were to suffer affliction. Paul had had said, this will happen. Persecutions are bound in the Christian life. They will come. And when we know what's ahead, it makes it easier if we're prepared for it. Instead of being completely blindsided by something. And I believe the greatest example that we see here in this passage is there is persecution coming, but persecution has its effect in testing our faith to see whether our faith is genuine or false. And that is the key of our passage today. For that as we go out, as we live the Christian life, there are tests and trials that come. And the true manner in which we pass or fail those tests show the genuineness of our saving faith. Has there really been a work of God in our life? Because for a moment, we can all act the part. But we will see as Christ is calling these. And I wonder if this context is kind of has this overtone of thinking of that deserter apostle. As, as Judas had been a disciple, but the true test would be shown over time. The Baker Commentary on Matthew says, the disciples are warned that those who reject the kingdom message will not be content with passive unbelief. They will actively oppress the messengers of the kingdom. And so as we go out, as we proclaim the word of God, there will be opposition. And to be honest, some people say, well, this is a really downer sermon. This is, this is heavy. Well, we can be Pollyanna and ignore reality, or we can be more prepared for it. Because in, these pas- in this passage, Jesus is sharing the weightiness of following, following him, but at the same time sharing encouragements. He, he's not just kind of laying the bucket list of challenges. He's sharing great encouragements through this. 
And you'll notice your notes today are nice and blank. That's because the only thing I could come up with was a very man-centered, contrite outline. And I did not believe that it was an accurate representation of the text. And I want you to just write down some things that the Lord is teaching you in these passages as we, as we look at the, the fact of persecution, notice in verse 19 and 23, what's the first word of that, those verses? Say it out loud. When? Now, Pastor Marcus, you had a different translation. What's your say? But. What's the second verse? But when. There we go. Um, when. Notice it's not when, but. It's not if, but when persecutions rise. And Jesus is, is setting this stage. And remember, outside of Judas, all but one suffers a martyr's death, as history tells us. The challenges in our life show what we put our trust and faith in, and at the end of the day, show is our faith truly saving or not. The first area that Jesus speaks of the challenges that face them is detainment or to be imprisoned. Where he says, they will, verse 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Here in verse 17, when they say courts, this is not speaking of a, a secular court. This is the Sanhedrin, the, not the Sanhedrin as far as the gathering of those men, but the small Sanhedrins, the small courts that would take place in synagogues throughout the land of Israel. And notice they would say, and they would, uh, they would flog you. Another way to state that is to scourge. And that was that, 40 minus 1, the 39 lashes, because 40 was not allowed unless it had a public trial. But Jesus says that you will be arrested in a sense. But notice in the midst of these things that he's saying that there will be these great trials. Verse 18, he says, you will be dragged before governors and kings. We see the expanse to those in the Gentile world, but what does he say at that? For my sake. The persecution that was to come was not for the people's sake, it was for Christ's sake. Now please understand, we can be persecuted for being annoying, and that's not what Jesus is speaking of. But as we live a faithful life as God has called us, as 2 Timothy 3.12 says, indeed all who desire to live godly lives or life in Christ Jesus will face persecution. We see that there is this great reminder. Some people would take it as a negative thing. Why do I have to get persecuted for somebody else's fault? I've heard my kids say that. I got in trouble because so-and-so did that. No, this is a positive thing because we understand that who they are rejecting is not us. As we are proclaiming the message of the gospel, it's not about me, but it's about Christ. But notice he gives another encouragement here in verse 19. 
when they deliver you over. Do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, because what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. In times of persecution, there will be a work of the Holy Spirit to give us words to speak. Sadly, people have taken this passage out of context and believe that as a pastor, you don't need to prepare, that you just get up on Sunday morning, you open your Bible, and the Lord will give you the words to speak. No, this is not. This is a promise to aid those witnesses who are in a situation that they can't prepare for. To be reminded that there's not going to be a situation that we're put into that God will not give us the ability to speak on his behalf. I was reading this week in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine about a pastor, Wu, and they put it in quotes because it's a a fake name. But he and his people in his church are being arrested constantly, being told, do not preach the gospel. And he says, no, I will keep. But God has been faithful to give him the words to speak. And the boldness to proclaim. For it is a work of the Holy Spirit speaking through. Look down at verse 22. And you will be hated for all by all for my name's sake. Again, that reminder that it is Christ who we are suffering for. But he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's be honest, in the English, this sounds like if I just hang on really hard, I can guarantee my own salvation. But as we look at the whole of Scripture, this is not true. We cannot save ourselves. And this idea of enduring can can be misunderstood. It's not a pull up my bootstraps and work hard. It's this idea of remaining. Not fighting against, but remaining under What do we remain under for salvation? Christ. It's not the strengthen of our own self. It's remaining under Christ is the guarantee of our salvation over his perfect work. It's not just some one-time verbal commitment, but it's a showing of the true character of where our hope and our eternal salvation lies. Was it in some prayer that I prayed in sixth grade? Or is it in the finished work of Christ? Do we confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved? Absolutely. But the proof of our saving faith is testing in trials. Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 4 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Notice, for this light momentary affliction. This is Apostle Paul who made that list of all the things that he had been through. He said, Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In the middle of tests and trials, what did Paul cling to? 
not the here and now, for it fades. Even today in today's catechism, it's a great reminder of what are the benefits? What do we, what is something that we look forward to? But it's not just the benefits, it's the love of Christ and clinging to his work. Asking ourselves, what do we cling to? We have the second half of verse 23. And it says, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Multiple commentaries said this is probably one of the most challenging verses in all the New Testament canon to interpret. I, I counted at least eight or nine different ways that people have translated it. I believe the main principle, and we'll see this more when we get to Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse. There's many parallels even to this passage. But the principle is that we will have plenty of work to do before Christ's return. There's many, many more truths that we will not get into today. But Jesus is reminding his workers that there will be plenty of work until he returns. He gives another word of encouragement here in verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. And here, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? You know, when we are persecuted, we are actually the most like Christ we can be. We are his children. Jesus says here in verse 25, if they call the master of the house Beelzebul, exactly what they did, well, Matthew records it in Matthew 9, verse 34 but the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons, literally by Beelzebul. They, they put him in that connotation, and so it is like with us. For the more we become like Christ, we also understand that becoming like Christ is not just making our life easy. More than likely, it's going to make our life more challenging. You don't hear that about your best life today, do you? Yeah, suffer for Christ's sake. Why? Because that's how we're like Christ. Again, we do not go out pursuing it in some ignorant way, being annoying and trying to find people to argue with us. No, but as we live lives of holiness, we shine as stars in a crooked and perverse generation we see in Philippians. And so it will draw the world because the world is not just happy with a message that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why is it that Someone who claims the name of Christ is berated, but if they claim the name of Allah, they're praised. It's because they hate Christ. 
Jesus said in John 15, 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Sound a little familiar? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But we could think of this again in a negative sense, but as John Calvin says, this consolation is enough to banish all sadness if we consider that our lot is shared with the Son of God. What a great truth, a great confidence. So Jesus says that a detainment, uh, an arrest. Secondly, we see another persecution to come is that of death. We, we, I, you'll notice if you're following carefully, I skipped over verse 21 because we see this theme in verse 21. And in verse 26 through 28, we see the, the kind of the, the, re, the recap of that. But notice what Jesus is saying in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Own family members doing the persecution to the point of death. But in verses 26 and 27, Jesus says, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say or proclaim in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Even in the midst of great persecution, proclaim with boldness. From the housetops, in the light. And you want to say, Jesus, how in the world can you say this? Because that will just make them even more angry. And it will make them rise up and kill us. And he's already answered the question here. What does he say? Do not fear them who can kill the body. But fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In our temporal-minded focus, we can miss out on the great hope that's presented there. We, We often find our confidence in the things around us. The things that we hold near and dear to us. But Jesus is saying, you know what? In reality, realize they can only kill the body. There's a great truth in this and a reminder that this world is not the end. This physical life is not all that there is. And over the scope of eternity, this physical life is but a blip on the screen. We're reminded even in the catechism today and in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We see that reminder and the the hope and the joy of looking forward to the resurrection. Paul spoke of death being a joy in Philippians 1, 21 when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is Gain. 
But yet, all the things we hold so dear to us tend to be what have our hearts and our affections and over that of Christ. We get short-sighted and lose the focus that Christ should have our greatest affections. Even the psalmist in Psalm 56 verses 1 to 4 said, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for my attack, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, what does he do? I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Look at how he ends. What can flesh do to me? It's that same reminder. We can die. And yes, there's a momentary, a physical sadness for those who have been lost. But our greatest hope, our greatest joy is not these temporal bodies, these earthen vessels. It is that new body. It is that new hope. It is that finding our joy Worshiping Christ for all of eternity. It's kind of in a challenging way that Jesus says an encouragement, but he says, instead of fearing man, fear God. He's who we need to be afraid of. And, And people say, you know what? Fear God. We're not supposed to fear God. He's our big heavenly father. Well, he is a heavenly father. At the same time, he is a perfect judge. And as I read in Romans 3 today, he is the just and the justifier because he could not contradict his character. As Solomon writes in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This fear not man is a command. To fear God is a command. And notice he's stating that we need to have that accurate view of who God is. Because when we understand who God truly is, our life falls in formity to how we view God. And when we fear God... We understand who he is. We understand who we are. We understand what sin is, and we understand how we must be saved. It's not some way that we create it is his way. When we fear man, we become practical atheists, fearing man, not God. What's interesting is when you're around somebody who knows they're going to die, the things of this world don't mean much. Because we quickly realize that there is something. And Jesus is saying that as a follower of him, even death is a great test to show where our true affections lie. Do I cling to this world with everything? Because Pastor Saeed would not have to be in prison today in Iran if he just said, okay, I won't preach Christ. 
And I'm sure we could come up with a hundred different ways in our minds to try to get around like, well, I won't quite preach Christ, but I'll do this. John Bunyan, same thing. You can seek freedom if you just won't preach Christ. No. And we look at Pastor Saeed's family and say, wow, look at him. He, he, why doesn't he get back to his family? Because he understands the importance of remaining faithful to Christ. No matter what. In the midst of persecution, what is our confession? Where does our hope lie? We see a couple challenging verses, verse 32 and verse 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. People have said these verses are proof that we can lose our salvation. If we confess Christ at one moment, we, if we deny him, then we've lost our salvation. What is the whole greater context here? It's this idea of the testing of our true faith. And in verse 21 or Excuse me, 22, but the one who endures to the end, the one who remains in Christ to the end, the perseverance of our faith proves if it was saving faith in the first place. It's like the parable of the soils. There's two of the soils that spring up. Look like they're saving faith, but they're truly not. It says the heat of the world, when the wind blew, the heat singed it. And prove that there was not true salvation that had taken place. And it's not a one-time confession, but it is a lifetime of confession. And the one who denies Christ was never truly saved in the first place. They may have known the words to say. They may have known the actions to say. That doesn't mean that there's not challenges. That doesn't mean that there's not a Peter moment in our life. For Peter denied Christ how many times? Three. So is he not saved? What was the overall pattern of his life? That same Peter, 41 days later, or 40 days later, is the one preaching at Pentecost with boldness and to the Jews saying, this Jesus whom you crucified. And to the end of his death when tradition says he wanted to be martyred upside down on a cross. The true confession of our mouth is not just one moment. It's not even just a few days. It's the pattern of our life. And the challenges that we face, again, show us what we put our hope and our trust in. And Jesus is showing that as we go about following him, there is great challenge.
We're going to stop here today. But let me ask you, we in America can say, oh yeah, persecution is coming, or there is this time of tribulation that is to come, but yet when we stop and we look around the world, this is not just something that is in the future, it is today. And we may think that there is persecution when a friend of ours says an unkind word to us. But let us ask the question, why is there not persecution here in America? And I would challenge us to say, are we really preaching the gospel that Jesus proclaimed? Because look at verse 34. Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. His message is divisive. It is not just this love and everyone is one part of one big family. There is a saved and there is an unsaved. Now we are to proclaim that truth in a loving way, but the greatest loving thing is to preach the truth that there is a reality of a hell. There is a reality of a heaven, and it is not based upon all the wonderful things that I can do, but it is only based upon Christ. And Jesus is saying, as you go out, there will be these great challenges that will test and will show the validity of your faith. And as James 1 says, it's those trials that show that where our hope lies. It doesn't make us perfect, but it shows the perfecting work of Christ in our life. Being a follower of Christ is not just some words. It's our whole life. Jesus does not call us to a casual Christianity. He calls us to a fully committed life that is often full of what the world would say is great trials, but when we begin to understand the purposes for them, the reasons for them, we too can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Not because we're masochists, but because we understand where hope and joy is truly found. It's in Christ's work on the cross, saving us who have no worth in of ourselves. And it's his forgiveness that has been shown, that is received by grace through faith. But as Jesus warned, the road of following him is bumpy. And count that cost. But when you count the cost, may what you see is not the difficulties, but what you see, I pray, is the beauty of Christ. The joy of following him. And taking part even in his passion. I mean by passion, not his love, but his death. Let's pray.
Lord, on one hand, we confess that this message is challenging for us to hear. But on the other hand, it reminds us and it gives us a good reality check of of where our hope and our confidence lies. Father, do the work to reveal the true nature of our hearts. Let us not just walk in casualness in following you, but may we walk in obedience and find the blessing in in that obedience uh, and the joy that is found there. Lord, test us. Bring the things into our life that would challenge our faith, that our faith would not be shaken, but it would be grounded firmer and firmer upon you and not the things of this world. Lord, I confess how often my heart can be so drawn to the things of this world to put my confidence in them. Lord, how those always fail. Lord, today, work in our hearts. Give us hearts that desire to to follow you. To follow you with joy. To follow you with faithfulness. So that when our faith has been tested, our faith will be shown to be one that is enduring to the end. Lord, we pray, do this work not for our glory, not for our benefit, but that our lives would bring you praise to the world around us, that somehow you may use us to to bring people to yourself. Lord, do that work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.